0: This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.
1: TL Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 11. To season seven, episode 11 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Feeney Hatton.
2: And I'm Randy Ziganfoos. Today we're speaking with Mark Prensky about Mark's recent article, What the World Needs from Education. You may remember Mark from previous episodes in season three and season six, and we'll link those in the show notes. Mark is an award winning, internationally acclaimed speaker, author, and practical visionary. He is currently the founder and executive director of the Global Future Education Foundation and Institute. Mark has spoken in over 40 countries, authored seven books, and published over 100 essays, and he's here today to speak
3: with us.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, Mark.
3: Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. I want to start because I know many of your listeners are teachers and administrators who work in schools. I want to say I understand you're going through tough times. And uh, thank you, and if we can help you, that's why I'm here.
1: Very nice. A good reminder for all of us. So let's get our conversation started today with a personal story about how you became so passionate about change in education.
3: The, I thought about this and how I got to this point, because that's not where I started or thought I would be. But I think it be, it's because in all the education that I had, and I went through a lot of, it, I have three advanced degrees, and, and so I spent a lot of years in education. I don't think there was a single time when somebody came to me and said, Mark, I see who you are. And given who you are, if you, maybe if you develop one or two things, but you would be really great at doing this and so i'm going to help you do that and you will be great and i with all the teachers probably a hundred or more that i've had i don't think a single one did that so that is so i started to think about how come we are delivering this thing to kids but we're not actually thinking about the kids from their own perspective, from how they want to be helped, how what they see, what advice, what guidance, what can, could we do for kids? And when I say kids, I mean all the kids. I just started the 2 billion kids program to see if we can do things like this for every kid in the world, because they're not all high tech. They're just really a different set of beliefs and a different point of view. And that's, I think, as I kept thinking about that, that's what really brought me into this world of, of how we raise our kids. So I love that
2: idea. And it it makes me think like, what would the world be if we said that to every kid or every young person, or how about every adult that never had that said to them? Like you said, would probably be a pretty amazing world.
3: I think it's, it's really true. And the, Uh, The the one example that I use a lot is that when I was in my 30s, I took one of these little tests uh, that you to help you self with self understanding. And the answer came back that people with your answers to these questions and your uh, ways of thinking often go into R&D. Well, I was in my 30s and nobody had ever even said those words to me. I'd never heard them. I didn't even know exactly what it was. But when I thought about it, I said, oh, yeah, that's what I do. I invent new things and I bring them to prototypes and, and, and that's exactly what I do. So to me, the most important things that there are in the world for kids is knowing, is, is having beliefs that you really believe that are important to you, not that other people believe, and then self-understanding to say, well, what really do I believe? What are my strengths? What are my interests? What are my passions? What are my dreams? And how do I realize those?
2: So you're clearly a thought leader in this arena, and uh, we will link your article and numerous articles uh, in our show notes, but we want to talk about um, the What the World Needs from Education article. And uh, you have a lot of provocative Sentences in the article and headings and things like that that get us to think. So let's um, let's hit one of those that's early on in the article. Rest in peace, twentieth century education. Rest in peace. Tell us more about what you're thinking
3: is behind that. Yeah. And in fact, that article was originally titled and, and and is going to be published in South Africa of all places as Why Twentieth Century Education Can't Be Fixed. It and what I say is that i don't knock it it was fantastic in the 20th century it we all got it it increased literacy enormously it increased many other things it was a fantastic tool in the 20th century and therefore people got together and said we should give it to everybody and so we have unsdg 4 that says we should do this to everybody and nelson mandela who said education is the most powerful weapon we can use to change the world. And those things were true in the 20th century, but they're not true anymore. They're not true. We don't need to give what we had in the 20th century to everybody because we're in a whole different world with a whole different relationship with technology and tools and opportunities and capabilities the most powerful weapons to change the world is not just education, it's accomplishment and empowerment and being able to have impact. So that's not what education is about. It's what it used to be about. And so the idea of taking this 20th century artifact, which is essentially what we have, and then laying on more, what I call icing, incremental changes in education, laying on these incremental changes without changing the cake, because the cake remains, you know, math, language, science, and social studies. I call it the mess, and math, English, science, social studies, without changing that cake. And it's really a mess of detail, not that the subjects are wrong. The details, the amount of detail we go into is very wrong. So bottom line is, I say, it would be great if we could create something else that was appropriate for the 21st century. And I think we can. But I don't think we'll do it by incrementally changing or improving the 20th century education for lots and lots of reasons. It's just not right for the future. If we create something alongside it and let people decide which way is better, I think a different way will quickly take over
1: so in your article you indicate that um, this time is even more momentous because of two huge changes that are happening simultaneously let's talk a little bit about those two big ideas
3: the first idea we all know about: it's technology has changed so that kids are incredibly empowered so that one of the examples I give is if any of us in this call had moved from the U.S. to a rural part of China uh, in the 20th century, and we somehow took a job there in a Chinese company, uh, we couldn't function at first. We would have to do years of study, or we would have had to have done in advance years of study to speak the language, to communicate, to read, to write. even to, They use you know numbers sometimes that are different than ours. So that would have been incredibly difficult. Now, if any of us were to do that and show up with our smartphone, we could do it all instantaneously. We could communicate, we could speak, it would translate automatically as we spoke, we could read anything in Chinese, we could, we could do any kind of arithmetic or whatever it is that we needed to do in Chinese. And that's a capability, a huge capability That is totally new in the 21st century. And that is what everybody soon is going to have. And it's going to get much, 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 much better and more effective. So, so many of the things that we did to prepare people for the 20th century world, where they were isolated, where they lived in individual communities, where cultures were very separate, uh, those things we don't have to do anymore. And we certainly don't have to do them if we think, not of today, but of 10 or 20 years from today, our kids are gonna live in the second half of the 21st century, not the first half when we're still living. So we really need to think about how to maximize these. So that's the first thing is technology. But the second change that I think is even more powerful and where we probably have a bigger divide than we do than the digital divide is in beliefs. Because in the 20th century, up till now, we have mostly believed that kids were not powerful. And why did we believe that? Because they weren't. They couldn't do much to change the world. You know, they could stand outside like we did, like Greta Thunberg started to do, outside the parliament and with a sign and protest. That's not a huge amount of power. But now, in the 21st century, they are powerful. So now, Greta is moving towards organizing people and organizing kids around the world and getting on on media around the world and spreading these things. Kids are very different. And if they don't believe that, they won't do these things. If they don't know that, if nobody's ever told them that, and and given them chances to think about that they won't do this so there's a whole lot of beliefs that are changing in so many areas i have a list even that i keep education technology privacy property personal relationships sexuality security power kids work empathy violence religion justice money love government even time and space And anthropologists are starting to think about this. There's a huge, huge change in beliefs that's accompanying the technology that is very little acknowledged.
2: So in your article, you talk about uh, how you've witnessed uh, in the field of education a lot of wasted time, energy and money on reforming schools. So why is reforming bad
3: and what should we replace it with? Because without the beliefs change, you can't get anywhere. So a great example is, is my friend Esther Wojcicki, who had got this extra money for a brand new facility. And she ordered chairs with wheels on them so that the kids could move around and form teams. And they got all these chairs. And in her class, they moved around and they formed teams. And it was really wonderful. And all the other teachers in her building took off the wheels. They took off the wheels because they wanted the chairs in rows because that's how they believe that education happens. Education happens when kids sit in rows and listen to the teacher. So if we don't change the beliefs that are behind what we do, we doing something slightly different is not going to matter. If we think that the, projects is another great example, there is this thing called PBL in the world. But And so a lot of people will say projects are important. But the projects that most people do when they say PBL it, are projects that are really just a pedagogy for teaching the old subjects. Mm-hmm. They're just for understanding. You wind up, you write a report. Okay, you did it in a team. You focused on a problem. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. What is different in the 21st century is that we can do projects kids can do projects with measurable positive impact on the world so the kids can point to something and say see that before our project it was bad i don't care what it was it could be a relationship it could be a thing it could be a swamp it could be a place and now because of what i did with my team and because of our project it's much better And that's really what I think an education is about. And it can be about anything because everybody has different things that they care about. Everybody has different concerns and dreams and strengths and passions. It doesn't matter what it's about, but it does matter that it's not just about you, but that it's about making a measurable positive impact on some aspect of your world.
2: So what do we know about how one's beliefs are changed, and how do do we go about doing that?
3: It's absolutely amazing to me how little we know, and uh, that's, I hope someday I'll write a book on this, but I spoke with a a neuroscientist uh, several years ago, and I still remember, I said, what can you tell me about beliefs? And he said, beliefs happen. That is how much I think we still know about beliefs. I've read some theories now about how emotions happen and how we project and how we we do things. And so we'll learn a little bit more about them. We know ad hoc some ways to work on changing them. And we know how difficult that is through psychotherapy and all this for personal beliefs. But Noah Harari, uh, one of my favorite authors, points out that in 1789... The entire population of France believed in the divine right of kings. And a year later, the entire population of France believed in self-government by the people. So the real interesting point to me is that beliefs, when you have them, are incredibly strongly held and determine everything that you do. If you and, and Carol Dweck uh, pointed this out in in spades with her with her growth mindset stuff. If you think you have a fixed mindset, every action you're going to take will reflect that. The minute you say I have a growth mindset, and mindset is just another word for beliefs, then your whole world will be very different. And that's you know that's one very narrow thing. So another one that people are talking about a lot is is abundance versus scarcity. If you think the world is the resources in the world are scarce, you're going to do one set of behaviors. If you think the resources in the world are abundant and will always be there, you'll behave differently. And and just think about teaching. Think about how you believe kids function or learn or work together or any of these things. Whatever you believe is going to determine what you do. And we have to make that more explicit. So I've written a book called Beliefs for 21st Century Kids. And it's a an on free online book, and you can look it up and put, we'll put the URL up. And uh, it's, it's saying, kids, believe you're powerful. Believe nobody has control over you. Believe you can do these things. Believe, and if you start believing, believe you're a citizen of the world before anything else. If you start believing these things, we will have a very different world. If you don't, it doesn't matter what the technology does because we won't have a very different world, at least among the people.
1: So from your perspective, what do you think are the two most prevalent beliefs that are holding us back?
3: Oh, there are so many. I think right now, in, in, since we're focused on education, I think that the two beliefs that, that are really uh holding us back and I don't I, I go further than holding us back I go to harming our kids I go to harming our kids the first one is I'm not powerful I can't I can't do this until my teacher teaches me how until education teaches me how then I can do something and the corollary of that is until I go through school I can't accomplish anything useful in the world because we only hire people who have, you know, graduated from high school or have college degrees. That stuff is a prerequisite for accomplishing anything, accomplishing anything useful in the world. That is just not true anymore. And I would say that almost all adults, and remember every adult over 20 was brought up and born and brought up and raised in the 20th century. By definition so in that century we weren't powerful we couldn't do these things and we had we formed that belief they didn't have that belief when kids worked on farms they just put them to work as soon as they could walk the it's a belief it's not a fact that's what's so important and let me add why it harms people I remember a a young lady when I was doing one of my early uh, student panels uh, and I asked her, do you play video games? And her answer was, no, my parents deprived me. Hmm. And guess what? Depriving somebody of something they need and want and that is not bad for them is harm.
1: That's a lot to think about.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting to be the, the, to find the people who think this way around the world. And I'm starting to find them in countries all around places and try to connect them. And that's what our 2 Billion Kids project is about, uh, one of the things that it's about. It's really about seeing the world through different lenses and seeing our kids through different lenses. And that's whether we call them lenses or mindsets or beliefs. Or, or, as Harari calls them, shared myths. Uh, that is really what changes things. That's what a paradigm change is. It's a different way of seeing the same thing.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Before we invite you to share what's next for you, um, we'd like to hear your responses to our rapid response questions. Are you ready?
3: I am ready. I wrote them <laughs> down somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed so to who- know them <laughs> oh oh! excuse me I've never heard these questions before so. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> so who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about uh, thinking about bringing up young people in the 21st century
3: I would say that you should go look up design for change it's an organization it started in India it's now in 70 countries they have a methodology called Feel, Imagine, Do, Share that helps kids of all ages, even as low as kindergarten, do real world impacting projects. And they are probably in your country, they're certainly in the US, and you should find out more about them. I think it's, I'm not sure what their US uh, URL is, but the world one is dfcworld.com.
2: We will
1: find it and link it in the show notes.
3: It is
2: designforchange.us. I got it here. I will put it in the show notes.
3: Okay. Designforchange.us. Right. They'd love to hear from you and they can certainly give you some valuable help.
1: All right. Next question If you were recommending one book to our listeners, what would it be?
3: I can never do just one, but, but I'm going to, there are three that I'd like to talk about. The most interesting person I've read in a long time is you Yuval Noah Harari. And if you haven't read, started with Sapiens and read all his three books, I think you're missing something important. Another book is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, and that shows up human foibles more than anything else. And the third book, which may be more controversial and certainly not known as well, is called Human Accomplishment. And it's by Charles Murray, who is infamous for some of his other work, I won't even mention it. Uh, But in this case, he's a statistician and he tried to figure out how many people in the world actually created human culture in the way that we remember their names. And he started counting column inches in world encyclopedias, and he found that that number of people is incredibly small it's certainly under five thousand it's probably less than that are the people whose names we remember of having contributed to human culture outside of politicians and and generals and that is that was eye opening to me it's eye opening to say you know this is it, it's really rare these people are very rare and we really need to know who they are and follow them and see if they're exist in our times, like an Elon Musk for me and, and learn from them.
1: All right. Last question. We'll link those in the show notes. What online site resource or person do you learn from regularly? I learn
3: from others. I go all over the place. Mm -hmm. I, I think if you just use one site, you will not you will quickly learn all they have to tell you i watch fox news i watch cnn news i watch all the i read as much as i can different people a lot of science fiction but it, you really have to keep changing because everybody gets fixed in their own beliefs and way of looking at the world and if you don't look at a lot of them and find the ones who who connect with you like harari and i when i read him i just connected i said oh there's a person who's thinking like i think and you but i had to explore to find that out and hear other people and so what you're doing here with getting everybody's recommendations i think that's a great part of your show
2: all right
1: enjoy we enjoy finding out what people want to uh share as well
2: yes what's in the mind of the great thinkers so, Mark, what's next for you? What are you working on that you want to share with us and our listeners?
3: Well, we began to talk about it. I'm, I'm really now thinking about beliefs and, and I'm thinking about them as uh, what's the connection between the religious beliefs. And you heard all this uh, if you watch the debate about faith and uh, how, you know, the U.S. is actually a fairly religious country. Uh, but but those whatever the beliefs are, whether they're religious or secular or anything else, They really determine our whole life, and they really are formed very early, and they are to a very large extent below our consciousness. So it's really, for me, important to understand what that means, what belief is, how to change it, how to examine it, and what we can do to use it to make the world that we'd all love to have.
1: All right, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Mark. We enjoyed learning more about some of the big ideas behind those uh, catchy subtitles in your article or sort of controversial big thinking subtitles in your article. To learn more about Mark's work, um, you can visit some of the websites that we've linked in the show notes, the previous episodes, and also the books that Mark recommended uh, for all of us. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how will you reimagine or imagine bringing up young people in the 21st century? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 11. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Mark.
2: Bye-bye.